Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We got a really special show for you today. First of all, the opening of the NCAA tournament. It doesn't get much better than that. So much fun, Thursday and Friday. Crap loads of games. It's a lot of fun. I uh, hope you like college basketball and March Madness. This is the start of it. It actually started a couple days ago, which we're going to talk about today. We have a couple special guests. We're going to try to mix things up on the podcast. It's spring break. No spring practices going on. Yeah, there's some hoops. We'll talk about that, but we're going to have the, the folks from Reign of Troy on too. They have a great podcast, a great website. So we're going to talk to them about spring football and college basketball, USC basketball and all that kind of fun stuff. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Our voicemail number is on there, all kinds of contact information. We're on the iTunes and Stitcher and tune in radio, all that kind of stuff. So check us out. Um, but without further ado, I want to bring in our special guest. So. Two of them. Uh, they're both they're from Reign of Troy. So Alicia uh, Diratola, uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Penguin of Troy, which is a very interesting screen name. And Michael Castillo at Michael C-A-S-T-F-S. Uh, call him Mike. He loves that. Uh, so they're both at Reign of Troy. Michael, Alicia, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You, you do like Mike, right? Isn't that, is it, I think that's on your Twitter. Box. I, it, <laughs> I will I will let it slide this one time. This one. Uh, oh, he's he's downplaying this. He really really doesn't like being called Mike, which I laugh at though because Michael, every time you introduce our podcast now, you you do this thing where you shorten your name, like you just say your name so fast that it sounds like Mike. So maybe you're like bringing this on yourself that people think like, oh yeah, he calls himself Mike because he just goes Mike Castillo. Well, way to, way to make me self conscious. Jeez. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't have said anything except it's on your Twitter bio. So then you know that's something that obviously bothers you. So in my personality, I would love to just bring that up. You just kind of poke the bear a little bit there. But, um, so if, if you guys don't know, so they, uh, the reign of Troy, um, they have a great blog. They're covering everything about USC football, you know, football and, and the other athletic sports, basketball and, uh, the reign of Troy podcast. And that's kind of why I wanted to have them on. Uh, when I started the pod, this podcast in 2008. It's almost 10 years now. It's really because there was a lack of USC uh, football and other athletic information out on just like local radio here in Los Angeles. And I'd never listened to podcasts before. I'm like, hell, I'll just start one. And it's, you know, we started it then. We've been doing it consistently every month and um, or every week. And I started, you know, I, I started listening to podcasts maybe less than a year ago. I really, <laughs> I produced them and hosted them for years without listening to any. And then. So you kind of listen to what's out there. And I just, I thought the guys at Rain of Troy, um, did a good job. So that's why I wanted to, to have you guys on. But maybe if you can start off with how you guys got, you know, your start doing the podcast and, uh, when, when you guys started them up. Yeah. Um, I started at, uh, at Rain of Troy in like 2012. So, so obviously when, uh, when SC was at the, the heyday of the, the number one stuff under, under Lane Kiffin, uh, and then, uh, we brought on, uh, Alicia about a year later and we had started our podcast in 2012, just a few random ones. And then we really didn't get into it until, 
2013 when Alicia came on and uh, it was, you know, once a week or so during the football season. And then we just got the hang of it uh, the year after that and just kept going. And uh, and now we're putting out stuff uh, during football season. It's about three or four a week. And uh, just just like this podcast, just a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, I find it really enjoyable because it's a different way to talk about USC football. And yeah, like like you said, Ryan, like you can't find this stuff on uh, on, you know, the regular radio to talk about USC football at a a depth that, that we're talking about it. And uh, and our goal is just to make it more lighthearted and and able to to sound like two uh, our two friends just talking about USC football. Yeah, and I think that's why we started doing it more often is that we figured out that like you know these were the conversations we were having anyways, and these were the conversations that we would have with with other friends and stuff like that. So we just started recording it, and you know we're both pretty talkative talkative people when when you get us going about football so yeah we we end up producing too much way too much sometimes it's uh it's fun i mean i think uh if you listen to other and i know you guys listen to other podcasts i'm starting to listen to more but you know it's you could have very informative people and if it's not that interesting i don't think people tune in as much and you definitely you guys definitely have a rapport um it's funny when i started doing and we haven't done one for a few weeks so people are getting mad at me but the uh, podcast of champions with David Woods, who's over at Bruin Report Online, and we would do that together, and we'd have a bunch of different guests on, and we just have, you know, kind of snarky personalities, and it seemed to work, and the people at USC and UCLA seemed to like it, um, so it was fun, but it's the consistency, I think, is really important, because people will come out, oh, I produce a podcast, and then they don't do one for two months, and they do another one, it's like, you never get the kind of audience, and you guys have definitely picked up uh, a big following, so I, I certainly recommend, if you guys are, are Peristyle Podcast listeners, which you you are since you're here right now but um go check out the the reign of troy but it that personality thing i mean you guys were friends before and it just kind of uh worked it out that way yeah well i mean we uh we met via reign of troy when i when i came on and yeah we just sort of we we clicked and and the the crew at reign of troy which also included you know trini's fur at a time and and, uh, you know, Josh Webb and, and a couple other people, I think it, it, it all just sort of worked out that that uh, personality wise, we all got along. And I think that is what helped the podcast. Oh, and my and uh, Matt Moreno as well. I can't leave him out. Um, <laughs> uh, we it all just sort of it, it clicked. And when you I feel like when you have people who get along and you, you put them in, you know, in the same room, if you if you think about a podcast being that as a conversation in a room. Uh, even though we're very rarely in the same room, then, then yeah, it was just, it, I think, I think that, that we were all sort of becoming friends anyways, and then recording podcasts and, and all that, it, it kind of jump started that process too. Um, do you guys get a lot of, Hey, are you guys dating? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> we've, we've, we've gotten that before, <laughs> which, which I understand because of the way we bicker sometimes, but. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's come through before. No, we're just we're we're friends, and um, you know, we, we I, I'm glad that that we've got some chemistry going there as friends. But yeah, that's sometimes a little bit awkward. Yeah, Michael, you're in Arizona now, right? Yeah, I moved out here to. I work with uh, with Fansider, which is uh, Rain of Troy's, you know, overlord company, like Scout is for USCFootball.com, and so. We opened an office uh, out here in Scottsdale uh, a year and a half ago, so 
uh, I'm in Arizona, but you know, I head back to uh, to LA for every every home game and all that kind of stuff. So I'm still I'm still in the loop. I'm not completely out here no, in exile. Yeah. Nice. And is there like a like kind of friendly competition? Because if you like look, I think you guys are within like a hundred followers on Twitter of each other. Do you guys kind of go back and forth on stuff like that? There was actually like back. I didn't realize I'd caught up. Yeah, you you did catch up, but uh, not totally. By the way, I still have the lead. But uh, it's funny. uh, We went to the Vegas Bowl in 2013, and we were we were completely tied, and so we were joking about it that we were going to have a race until like New Year's because that was you know the week before Christmas of who could have the most followers because we were trying to get to 500 at that time, and. and ever since then, for some reason, I took a lead and I was like, I had like a hundred, hundred follower lead and, uh, it's slowly, slowly drifting away. Nice. Well, not, okay. not that I'm paying too much attention. I'm, I'm the USC basketball of Twitter followers, apparently. Making a comeback. Making it. No. <laughs> yeah. The Rose Bowl, the basketball team. Uh, okay. So if you guys like, if you like Michael better, go follow him. If you like Elisa better, Alicia better, go follow her. But only follow one, so you have to pick one. And then no, I'm just kidding. No, go ahead. And uh, I like the competition, though. We try to keep that. You know, do you, you follow other people in the industry? Like, hey, I got more followers than him, or I got more followers than her. I don't know why we put so much stock in that kind of stuff, but it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's like a status thing. I, I you know, you you you, en- you inevitably end up like checking somebody else's profile, and then. You ha- you sort of have to compare yourself to to how many followers they have because that that sort of tells you how much you know how much of an audience you have compared to to somebody else which you know I I'm all about competition too I I don't know about like I I I don't know how I would go about increasing my Twitter followers but you know if the the peristyle people want to help me out with that then then maybe I'll get to two thousand sooner than later nice uh yeah it's funny I have like an old friend from uh from college days that she used to live on my couch. Uh, she was like my roommate's cousin and she was coming out here to do Hollywood stuff and didn't have any place to live and was living with us for a while. And I, I you know, kind of lost touch with her and now she's some big time producer. And I looked at her like on Twitter and she had like 750,000 followers and I tweeted, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, nice going. And she's like, yeah, I remember when I used to live on your couch. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. You could tell like, I mean, don't tell a lot for someone. Be like, oh, well, there's a lot of people that must know who you are if you have 750,000 followers. Right. There's like a legitimacy. Like <laughs> my my boyfriend found out how many followers I had on Twitter and he was like, oh, you, wait, no, you you actually are like legitimate. Like people actually I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could have told you that, but <laughs> but somehow it validated it because of how many how many people I have an audience I have on Twitter. And And when you think about it, like, you know. Our audience is still pretty small in the grand scheme of things, but well, we'll take it and we'll take the growing. Well, we wanted to talk some hoops. Uh, first off, since last night was sort of a, uh, insanely crazy game. Um, I think you guys, I, I started to listen to your car cast. So these guys do a, a car cast after games, which basically when they get back to the car, they would record the podcast. Uh, not for this one. I don't think they were in Dayton, but, um, you know, just kind of a, a quick, uh, summary and analysis of what happened during the game. Um, and I know during your, your normal podcast, you have your, like your one minute of basketball segments. We don't talk a whole lot of hoops here on the Peristyle podcast either, but you know, it's a kind of a monument, you know, mem- 
what am I work, looking for here? It was a monumental victory for USC. And I think you guys compared it to the Rose Bowl. USC was down 14 in that game. You know, start off strong, down 14, come back and win dramatic fashion. This game started off strong, down by 17, and then come back to win, not as a dramatic fashion, but certainly held on and, and played well at the end. Um, what do you guys think of uh, how USC performed in Dayton? I, I thought they performed, you know, admirably. I mean, going into it, you look at it and, and you look at the schedule and, you know, SC had not beaten anyone of real significance since the uh, the UCLA game in January. And even before that, you could you could go all the way back into the non-conference schedule. There weren't that many wins over accomplished teams at all. And to get a, to get a win in a, uh, in a difficult spot, a high pressure spot like the, like the first four where they're, you know, have everything on the line right there trying to get into the round of 64. I thought that was big for, for, for Enfield and company because, you know, this was a team that stumbled down, down the stretch. Uh, they're only like seven and five in their last 12 games. And for them to be able to put it together at the right time, I think, shows a lot of maturity because we've talked about, you know, so much that this is a really young basketball team, yet they finally, finally have started to, uh, to, to gel at the right time and, and show that, uh, that, that, that wherewithal to, you know, fight in, in the, uh, through adversity, which, you know, compared to the, the Rose Bowl, I think that you look at the football team. I mean, how many times did, did USC ever come back, um, from any sort of deficit. It w- it was years, years and years before, I mean, go before the Rose Bowl that you could look back and say USC had a comeback win. Uh, Cody Kessler never did it. And so you look at the, the basketball team, they were very much in the same situation in a key moment where they never came back. And for them to come back in a key moment on, in a tournament game, I think shows a lot of character and maturity. Yeah, I definitely thought the, the game last night was that de- was about character and maturity. And having the right blend of players and, and contributors from a, a veteran like Jordan McLaughlin, who is playing as well as, as he's played at any point in his USC career, uh, with a, with a sort of steadiness and a, and a reliability that, that he certainly didn't have last year, uh, down to a Nick Rakasevich, who's, uh, Rakosevich, sorry. I do it every time I say it wrong, every time the first time, uh, Rakosevich, who, comes in, you know, true freshman, a little bit more unheralded than the guys that are, that sort of made headlines like Jonah Matthews and DeAnthony Melton. Uh, he comes in and absolutely changes the game in the second half. And, and in response to him, Chemezi Metu, who's also a young guy still figuring himself out, starts, you know, showing up a little bit more. And, and you've got Benny Boatwright who can add that to scoring. And even on a night when you didn't really get anything out of Elijah Stewart or, or Shaquan Aaron, you didn't get a ton out of the other freshmen, Melton and, and Matthews. I think just what I like about this team is there's a, there's a, a depth in variety that, that USC has across the roster. And it's always a different combination of players who are contributing. And in, you know, the, the first night of the tournament, uh, for USC at least, it's, it was that variety and, and, the, and those guys stepping up. And I think that's just such a sign of, of what this team is capable of. Uh, you know, we'll see how they, they go down the line, but, Everything about this game was sort of the USC in a nutshell. They're prone to falling behind for sure, for sure, but they, they very, very rarely give up. And I think that's, you, you have to credit the, the coaches and the, and the players for pulling out that, I mean, pretty improbable comeback. It was one of the, one of the 10 biggest ever or something like that. I, I, I don't know, uh, 
exactly where it ranks, but it's it's up there. Yeah, and, uh, it's fun. I think you know USC came back. Was it ten or twelve times from ten points or more this year, which is like the most in the NCAA? Um, crazy that they would come back kids like that. But Rakosovich certainly he was one of the guys that really impressed me. And I thought USC when they had the bigger lineup late in the game um, that they could have posted up a little bit more, but. He was so much better than you see him earlier in the season. He was just the guy that would come in and pick up a couple of quick files. You know, there's those guys that they come in and like maybe the referees don't respect them at all. So if they're near anybody, they just get called for a foul and it's just over. And, you know, he put the ball on the deck and, and, you know, took it to the hole, got fouled. There was, he was just playing so much better. He wasn't just coming in as a, a foul machine. And you saw, I think he's kind of steadily progressed throughout the year, but, you know, he's one of the, you know, I think he's one of the key reasons why USA was able to come back. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, he's still prone to missing a point blank layup, uh, or, or just, just missing point. USC has a bad habit of missing point blank shots. Uh, but, and he, he was one of the big culprits of that earlier in the season. And you can see he, he's very much refined his game from the start to the finish, which you should, which you should expect from a, from a true freshman, you know, c- coming out. And by the end of their first season, they really should have, have transformed in a way. And I mean, that was, that was the uh, the culmination of all of that, and, and this is the first time I can really remember him having a huge impact, let alone a, an impact in in a real sense. And I I'm convinced that he's he's the only you know he's the reason USC is advancing. I think you take him out of that lineup, and things play out very differently. Michael, what do you think about uh, SMU? It's a it's kind of a weird um, scenario where USC already beat them this year. I think they're 30 and four and a lot of people feel they should be seated higher than six. So maybe USC gets not the greatest, uh, you know, hand dealt to them by having to play in the first four and then playing a team that's probably maybe one or two seeds below where a lot of people thought they should be. And they've already won 30 games. Yeah. 30 and four, but they've won 20, uh, 26 of their last 27 games. They started out four and three. Uh, SC beat them in in November, which definitely helps. I think that gives SC confidence going into it. They they don't have to feel like they're they're playing against some some juggernaut. Also, I think playing Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA seven combined times I think helps with that uh, with that as well because they're not scared against anybody. But yeah, S- SMU, a team that's ranked 11 by the AP, uh, yet they get a six seed, which you know you if you do the math. That's like the 24th overall seeding. So it, it's, it's a really interesting scenario, uh, playing against a team that you've already played against before, but that game was so long ago. And there's, there's a team that I, I think is really gelled together. Uh, you look at the, uh, at how they, how they just ran through the, uh, the American athletic conference, uh, with no problems at all. Uh, which I think raises two questions. Either they, are really good in the sense that no one is giving them trouble at all, so that's a good thing, or they just haven't been tested. Whereas we know USC has been tested because they've played Oregon, they've played Arizona, they've played UCLA so many times, and you can look at it and say, well, SC doesn't have these super quality wins because they have only lost to those teams with the exception of the one win over UCLA, but I, I think that it's it's going to be a tough battle because... You know, SMU is one of those teams where you can look at it and say this is a team that could go deep into the uh, into the NCAA tournament. They're led by a guy named uh, I, I completely forget how to pronounce the name, but Semi Ojale. Ojale. There you go. Ojale. 
There you go. Yeah, we, he's, we he's learned a, the pronunciation last night and then yeah. probably forgot it. He, he's a he's a six seven forward who can who can kind of play a couple of different spots on the wing. So I think that that could be a matchup problem because you look at USC and uh, and you know SC's wing is Benny Boatwright, someone who plays like a guard. So how is SC going to be able to defend him? He only had 13 points in the first matchup, so I think that's going to be that's going to be the key because. Defense was the issue in the first half uh, against Providence, giving up what 49 points in the first half or 44 points in the first half, and uh, and they were really able to dial it back in the second half. And they're going to have to continue that uh, on Friday. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how far uh, this team can go. I don't know, and then uh, it could be another one of those things where people leave early, maybe before they should. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on if guys like Metu or or Boatwright will stick around after this year? If uh, if Metu leaves, I couldn't necessarily fault him. I, I don't think – I think he would be making a mistake a la uh, Julian Jacobs and, and Nikola Jovanovic last year uh, because if, if you're leaving early and you're not getting drafted, then, you know, the the D-League is not a, a good enough option. A, a good, it's not a good enough payoff to be in the D-League. Uh, so I think, I think he could definitely use another year, but if he was to go, I would just sort of shrug and understand it because he has really grown leaps and bounds this year. Uh, Benny Boatwright, that I think that MCL injury, maybe that's his reason to go because of the, the sort of fleeting nature of athletics. But I, I, if he, if he left, I think it would be, uh, he's, he's just too, he's still too inconsistent. I think he still needs to refine too much of his game. Um, I could imagine both of them going just like I could have imagined Jacobs and, and Jovanovic going last year, but they're not sure things. And, and I wouldn't leave if I wasn't a sure thing. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I would, I would, I would echo that. Uh, with, with Boatwright, I, I think he's still got a lot to, to, to work on because he's, he's not consistent. Like Alicia said, and I, I think the other thing, you know, you look at everything, last year and it was easy to sit back and say well everyone's going to come back they're going to be able to have Jacobs and and Ivanovich and all of them coming back for the next season and they lost guys they lost six guys either early to the draft or to transfers and yeah yeah SC got Shaquan Aaron and Derek Thornton a five-star um recruit who went to Duke and, and is transferred to SC but you want to find some way to keep those guys because if you can keep those guys, I think going into next year, you can look at a team that is a Pac-12 contender. I think they really can be when you, if ever, if everyone keeps developing. And I think that's one of the things like, you know, going back and watching SC basketball when I was a kid, they, they all the time, exactly when you, when you would want the guys to come back, they wouldn't. And you, you just, you're sitting there second guessing. Well, what what would have happened if uh, if Nick Young would have come back in 2008, or what would have happened if so and so would have come back? And I think that this is one of those situations where you'd love to see Chimezi Metu and Benny Boatwright come back and uh, and see what they can all do together. But again, like like Alicia said, there's there's reasons to go if you're uh, if if you think that either the MCL tear for for Boatwright is a scare or the uh, the raise in, in draft stock is you know worth going for Matthew. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. 
We're talking with uh, Alicia and Michael from Reign of Troy, uh, some USC basketball. Uh, we're going to get into some spring football too, but uh, the tournament's going on. I'm actually in my office here, and it's uh, watching the first game, Princeton and Notre Dame, a 12-5 and seed. They're kind of going at They're tied at 17 right now and halfway through the first half. Um, are you guys big bracket filler-outers? Do you guys like to do that? I, I do it. I wouldn't say I like to do it because it's – it's such a, such a stressful process because there's no way to guarantee that you're doing it right. And so I've taken to filling out brackets in what I called the, I, I do an instinct bracket every year within my family pool. And that's just, I literally go through and, you know, snappy first thought go. And this year I did that and I ended up going completely chalk and I hate myself for it. But you know, <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my bracket filling out because. I've put a lot of time and effort into brackets in the past and they never worked out. So <laughs> I've sort of given up on that. See, see, I think it's like horse racing. I, I'm, a, I'm a big horse racing fan. I like going to the track and, and, you know, betting on the ponies and all that kind of stuff. And it reminds me of horse racing in the sense that there's so much college basketball. There's no way anyone's watching it. And there's definitely, <laughs> I definitely don't watch nearly enough, uh, uh, college basketball. So I'm looking at things. I'm just looking at numbers. Well, they're this in RPI and well, they, they've done this in the last 10 games. Well, this race horse has like showed in the last three races it ran and it had a good workout. Like you just completely just speculating random things and throwing it all together and hoping for the best. So I, I think that is fun. Uh, and th- it's just frustrating if, uh, if you miss that one Cinderella that, uh, that you had a gut instinct about and uh, and didn't pick because that's always the that's always the tough part. That's why you gotta have two brackets and you have one where you're maybe a little bit more aggressive and and one where you're maybe relying on the chalk. You know, it's funny. I didn't even I, I you know since they started the the play in games, I haven't really filled them out very often. Like when I think I did one last year, but I didn't even do one this year. And it's kind of the same thing. Like Alicia, like I would do a bunch of research back when I was in college. Um, at USC, we, I remember the LA Times would come out and there would be like these breakdowns of every team and I would kind of lay it out there and go through the, you know, having that like paper in front of you, I think there was something cool about that. But, um, and you know, so now you look at it and you can't really see anything of like why this team would be better than that or whatever. And then, then like you, you go watch a game and then like in the beginning of the game, the announcers will talk about some like fact and you're like, that totally makes sense. Like I would pick that team, you know, and like, why didn't I see this before? So I don't know. It just seems like you could put all this research into it and then who knows? Like a ball bounces one way or the other. And, um, it's just really not, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm not, I don't watch as much college basketball during the season. So it's like, I don't really care as much to fill out a bracket. Cause I'm like, what am I? I'm just doing this kind of randomly. Like I watched the Mountain West finals and I saw Nevada. I'm like, oh, Nevada looks good. I'll pick them to go somewhere. You know, like that's just cause the, I saw them once. You know, it's just weird when you don't watch as many games. I'm just not as inclined to, to do all these picks. Yeah, I totally get that. And, and so much of it is, is name recognition and, and not just sort of, you, you, everyone knows Kentucky, but like you said, like you happen to watch one college basketball game. And if it happens to be Nevada versus, you know, whoever and Nevada looks good in that game, you've only seen them once. You don't know if that's a fair representation <laughs> of their whole season, but because you have this impression of them, like, oh, they look good that one time, then, you so it's it's easy to sit back and go oh okay I'm just gonna go with Nevada I'm oh I I know I know that coach so I'm gonna go with them 
and it's not really i mean sort of it's informed it's just not it's there's no there's no way to to even the most informed person isn't filling out a perfect bracket um but so much of it is luck and so much of it is random fate and so much of it is who gets hot when and you can't you can't predict that i always tell the story of my my sister-in-law won our family pool a couple of years ago and she does not follow sports at all she just filled out a bracket because she wanted to be you know a part of what we were doing and she won the whole thing and that was when i was like okay okay fine then uh, you know maybe i don't have to like (laughs) dive into so much research yeah, you can just pick by mascot or whatever, like this, you know, an yeah. owl, an owl would get eaten by a tiger. So I'm going to pick the tigers or whatever, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, someone did that once. The, the one <laughs> thing though is, uh, never do what my mom did one year, uh, and just pick all the Catholic schools because they will let you down. Uh, <laughs> my family were, you know, we're good Catholics. My mom is a, is a religion teacher at a Catholic school. So she went and picked all her Catholic schools. No, no, they, 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 they will let you down, you know, and, and the, the Catholics that are listening know exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh, I'm also a Catholic, but I haven't done that before. It'd be interesting to do it on a, uh, religion based for college. Yeah, except, except I would, I would highly recommend doing sort of playing an opposite day with that because <laughs> every year without fail, Gonzaga or Georgetown or St. Mary's or St. John's or Marquette, they're gonna let you down. They're gonna let you didn't, down. Didn't Villanova win the national title last year, though? Yeah, yeah, but I guess I guess if you're gonna do it, this is the year. Now that now that you mention it, because Villanova year, does yeah. does hit that criteria. But I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, I haven't looked at what my mom my, what my mom filled out on her bracket this year, and she always tends to favor them because she knows them those schools. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see. The, the Big East, like when they split off with the AC or whatever, what, both, most of their schools are Catholic, right? I would think. I think, or were they? Yeah, the, 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 Big, the Big East is entirely, it's entirely Catholic plus Butler, I think. Okay. I don't think Butler's Catholic, but I think they're thrown in as well. Nice. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame's winning right now, 21-17, so they'll make a run. Um, there's also fun tournament stuff going on. And this is, I wanted to kind of talk about this. So if you guys listen to the Rain of Troy podcast, um, Michael has a lot of very strong takes about just about anything. And most of them, and Alicia can attest to this, are terrible, just awful takes. Um, but they're very strong. He's like, you, you should, like, whatever it is, like, you, you should never put relish on a hot dog. And there's like, he'll give you 10 reasons why, whatever, the, stuff like that. And I saw one, the cereal tournament. There's always kind of tournaments come out. And I, I don't remember who tweeted it out. Uh, I think Shotgun was tweeting with somebody, and it was like the the breakfast cereal tournament. And the winner ended up being Cookie Crisp with chocolate milk, which it's, I think that's a pretty strong. I've never had that, but I think that'd be a pretty strong contender. But my favorite cereal of all time ended up finishing second, which is Fruity Pebbles. Which that cereal you put milk in that, the cereal is amazing, and then the milk is amazing because it's got the f- fruity sugar and stuff in it. Um, what's Michael's strong take on that cereal bracket? If you've seen that, Michael. I, I have not seen the bracket. I really oh. need to look it up. Okay. But, but, uh, <laughs> I don't see how, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch has to be somewhere near the end. Uh, I, I, I am a cinnamon fan. So anything that has cinnamon, cinnamon life, uh, cinnamon toast crunch, uh, French toast crunch, anything that has cinnamon in it, I'm all for it. And, uh, as long as it's not Cheerios. I am. Uh, I. I would be okay with whatever the winner was. 
Sid Rintos Crunch is a strong. I think there was a lot of talk about that one. Like that, I think that was Shotgun's favorite. That one's really good. Cinnamon Life was always really good. It's to me the cereal that kind of get they can get mushy but taste better. Like that, and, and I think Cinnamon Life and stuff. Those kind of ones like Fruity Pebbles. I'm pretty strong in that. What do you What do you think, Alicia? I'm all about Fruity Pebbles. I, I think I put Fruity. I think I did a final four of my my cereal. Final four was Fruity Pebbles. Uh, Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and Honeycomb. Honeycomb, okay. Uh, you still love the Crunch Berries? The, uh, Cr- Lucky Charms, I love the, the marshmallows. It was like too big of a contrast between the regular pieces and the marshmallows, though. Like the regular pieces just weren't that good. They were like kicks or something. Which I'm weird, though, <laughs> because, okay, no, when I was a kid, I totally agree with you. You'd eat the Lucky Charms, you'd eat the marshmallows of yes. the Lucky Charms, and you'd leave, it, leave everything else and try to sort of hide that those were left in your bowl. <laughs> uh, but as I've gotten older, I actually have turned around on it. I think the marshmallows are the least, the, the least important. Well, they're, they're important, but they're, they're my least favorite thing about Lucky Charms. The marshmallows exist to flavor the milk and to, to sort of, flavor the 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 cereal bits of it but those though for some reason that my taste buds really really like those <laughs> things that used to taste like cardboard to me and were flavorless but now i'm all about it uh which it, maybe it's just sort of that weird thing about growing up because i used to not i mean cheerios were meh because those were the ones that my mom would buy we'd buy uh cheerios and frosted flakes and those were just kind of boring to me as a result uh but now I love Cheerios. Like Cheerios are, are I wouldn't put them in my final four because they're not flashy enough. But like it's like as cardboard a, though. It's like no. cardboard. Well, okay. <laughs> yes. no, caveat that Honey Nut Cheerios is what I'm speaking. Of. I do not, like Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah. I'm 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 gonna take Cheerios out of it because you got you got to have the Honey Nut in there. But yeah, those are those are legit. You actually, pro tip: eat them with yogurt instead of like if you don't have any granola or whatever. When you're if you if people eat yogurt. Um, Cheerios in there. It's nice. The uh maybe worst cereal of all time if they did a bracket. My mom started buying this. Kashi. Have you ever tried that stuff? It's like gravel from your driveway with some twigs <laughs> put in there. It is absolutely awful. But uh yeah, so don't don't like that one. Do you have a strong Michael has a strong take on that, I'm sure. I I do have a strong take <laughs> in that I, I would always see it like at Trader Joe's and just I don't know, like I I you, you get like a shiver down your spine when you just look at it and you're like, there's no way that someone thought that this would be possibly edible. <laughs> no way. Yeah. But my, my take on Fruity Pebbles though is I don't see how it's any different than tricks. I like tricks. I've oh, never had different. Fruity, I never had Fruity Pebbles though, but oh, you gotta turn- looking at it, they look the same to me. Tricks are cause they are the, they're the balls, right? So they don't get as mushy like the, the Fruity Pebbles because you got that sugary, fruity, and it kind of makes a sludge almost at the end. Like they're, they're kind of mushed together and it just tastes really good. It changes the, the milk differently. You, you got to try it. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. It's, it's unique. I mean, because you could, you could throw, um, what is it? Fruitios and there's, a, there's a whole variety of like fruit flavored, fruit loops, uh, cereals, and tricks. fruit, yeah, fruit loops and, and that kind of thing that are, that are sort of all kind of the same, but fruity pebbles do some, it's totally different. Like the, the, the flavoring, it's it's totally different the texture is different because it becomes kind of a mush but you still got a tiny bit of crunch in there as you're if you're eating it quickly enough uh it's yeah it's on another plane it's on a whole other plane than than the other fruit based 
cereals yeah. uh, that aren't very fruit based because it's all art. I'm sure it's all just artificial flavoring, but <laughs> hey, it tastes good, so I'll take it. <laughs> Do yourself a favor, Michael. You got to check it out. Um, I, I don't know why we talk about cereal for that long, but I, I wanted to be, do some more off-topic stuff. I know you guys have changed your podcast to try to save off-topic stuff towards the end. So if people, because we'll, I'm sure we'll get complaints. What were you guys doing talking about cereal for 10 minutes? Um, yeah, this, this is the USC football podcast, Ryan. No, no, you're not supposed to talk about anything else. If you're talking about anything else, you're wasting people's time. That's, that's how it is. So that's why we had to, we have to try our best to put it towards the end we, or else we get, we get hate mail. That's funny. So I've done, so I'll usually have like Harvey Hyde on a day or Dan Weber or we'll have like Gerard talk about recruiting or shotgun or whatever. And people have favorites like, Oh, I love the Gerard ones, but I hate the Harvey Hyde ones or whatever. And then we get the other people like, I love Harvey Hyde and they'll send all these questions in and people get mad. Like, why are you talking about this? I'm like, pretty much the way we run our show is just answering your question. So you guys direct the show. So if you ask me a question, that we'll answer it. And it's, so it's funny where people, they'll just be adamantly against, I, I love all your shows except when that guy's on or whatever. It's, it's pretty funny that people have these strong opinions about that kind of stuff. Well, if you think about it, you're really, ba- you're, you're really running a, a network of shows because you, you are sort of hitting a lot of different demographics. And, you know, when I, 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 I've listened to the pod, the Parasol podcast going back, back several years. It was actually the first podcast I ever listened to. Wow. Um, I thanks. think I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, and actually I woke up this morning thinking about the, one of the first, maybe this will date it because, because I don't really remember. I remember I had recently started listening and you did a, an April Fool's joke where you said that it was ending and I was so bummed out because I was like, <laughs> Oh man, I just found this. I really enjoy this and, and it's going to be gone now. And then <laughs> that backfired on you because you, <laughs> I feel, I felt so bad for, for the, the listener who, who emailed in and was, or was very, very upset about you, you ending the show. And I was like, well, yeah, I was that upset too. I was just, <laughs> I was just, I, I looked at, I happened to look at the date while I was listening and, and that was, uh, <laughs> and that was, oh, okay, no, no, it's still coming back. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I would find myself gravitating towards, you know, you know, one week I'd, I'd, I'd feel like, oh yeah, Dan Weber, I, I, he just, he's, he's clicking with me. And then one week it would be like, oh yeah, Harvey Hyde. And then one week would be like, ah, oh, slugging through. I'm not really feeling you, Dan, or I'm, I'm not really feeling you, Harvey. So I, I've been across the spectrum with, uh, with, with the parasol sort of, the 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 guests or or whatever you want to call them that that you have on but i think that's what makes it appealing is that you can sort of you you can sort of pick your moments with which what you're feeling at a particular time or you know which ones become your favorite after a while yeah well, i guess that's what we I try think, to do i think oh, sorry, the new Michael. format helps too the like i really like how you you know you you split it up by the days like you know monday is a harvey day tuesday is a dan day and if there's going to be a Gerard day, it's going to be like a Wednesday. <laughs> so I think like, you know, going in, like, well, if I'm, if I'm team Dan or team Harvey, like I know what day I have to tune in. And I think that that, I think that helps people choose because, you know, when you're, when you're running a podcast and you're getting the feedback and people are always, I either love this or I hate this, you give them the option. I think that's the, uh, that's the best way to go about it rather than like having to, you know, go to 30 minute 37 and 46 to find, you know, 
us talking to Dan or whatever it is. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and I get it. Like people, I'm like, Hey, if you don't like whoever, just we'll, we'll do two other shows this week. So listen to those. And, uh, we have, we have people asking for transcripts. They're like, yeah, I don't have time to listen. Can you put a transcript up? I'm like, uh, no, it's a podcast. I mean, how many pages of that of an hour conversation? Like, you just write that down. Like, I don't, people ask you to do that. That's crazy. I don't the, think the AP does that for stories now. So, hey, they do. Yeah, but tr- transcripts take a lot. You'd have to outsource that. <laughs> like, just, just, I don't know. Maybe I'm slow at trans, but just transcribing like interviews from practice takes forever. So, I mean, doing a podcast transcript. Gee, that sounds no. like a slog. No, I mean, it's like we try to do, you know, a, a, a wide range of uh, content on the site. You know, if it's a photo gallery or, uh, you know, a, a, a interview story or analysis piece or whatever. But, you know, videos and podcasts are their own sort of medium and it's its own thing. I mean, you can't just transcribing what we're talking about here. You're not going to get the feel for like what it was like. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if you don't like that, what you know. Don't, don't listen to the podcast, but I'm not going to write it all out for you. Um, so we get a lot of weird requests. Um, but we should talk. You mentioned practices. We should talk about some football. Uh, there wasn't some ploy to get you to listen to all the way to the end or anything. We just, you know, I wanted to do a, a little different kind of show. We're trying, I'm going to try to get different guests on, you know, each week, different people. We've had some former players or current players or coaches and stuff on, but it's also people that are in the media that cover the team. Um, other beat writers or other people that, you know, run websites, uh, you know, most, for the most part, we all get along, we go to practice and, and kind of hang out and chat. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to uh, have you guys on to talk about it. I didn't think we'd wait this long to talk about football, <laughs> but here we are. Um, one week in the spring, maybe, you know, each one of you, maybe get your initial thoughts. If you want to start, Michael, um, what, what you thought or what you expected kind of going in. Yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't been out to, uh, to spring camp yet but i think the interesting thing though is just how everything is coming together with the injuries how they're able to uh figure out well okay we're going to put chumadoga at left tackle we're going to put roy hemsley at right tackle and we have this idea that uh toal obendon whenever he comes back is going to be a guard or a center and i think that just having that structure, I think, is really huge because you look at Toa Lobanon, you look at Nico Fala, those are two guys that could play center, they could play guard, they could play tackle, they could play anywhere. And I think that having so many options can kind of be debilitating uh, on the offensive line. So I like that, that you know, Clay straight out said that, you know, if there was a game next week, it's going to be Chumanoga at left tackle and it's probably going to be Roy Hemsley at right tackle, at least for now. And I think that that is really... Um, exciting to see that th- there's some foresight there and, uh, and hopefully that allows the, uh, the offensive line to build some chemistry because that's always been a problem. Uh, you know, last season, I thought they got a little bit better with that, even though you saw, you know, Zach Banner and, and Chumadoga splitting some time at, at, uh, at different, you know, periods in the season. But I think that as long as they can find a way to build some, you know, camaraderie and chemistry, even when the guys are out uh, on the interior part of the line, I think that uh, that that's that's a key there. How about you, Alicia? Yeah, I'm always intrigued by the the position battles because you go in you go into spring trying to figure out. Well, we know who's going to be battling for where. We know what spots are open, but what is the real pecking order here? You know, we can we can 
try to guess what it is based on on evidence from last season and, and the like. But you don't really know until you get out there and see, well, who is getting the first team reps, who is who is is sort of penciled in right now. And I think I found it most interesting that John Houston uh, has sort of gotten that penciled in role at inside linebacker. Uh, interesting that Roy Hemsley is the one that gets penciled in at right tackle. Um and then, and then just sort of seeing the, the receivers, it's hard to pencil anybody in except for, for Michael Pittman and Deontay Burnett, but, but just sort of seeing the battles that, that go on there and, and the, the shifting, uh, uh, depth chart and the shifting pecking order in all, with all of those battles. But my, my, my big takeaway from the first week was I sort of, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I was a little bit surprised that it's John Houston. Um, and, uh, and, and Roy Hemsley are, are, I think we're sort of the big, the big, uh, headlines coming out of that week. Aside from unfo- the unfortunate, you know, sort of injury stuff of, of a lot of guys who are going to be missing, uh, missing spring camp entirely, like Trayvon Sidney, who I think is, uh, missing a, b- a big opportunity to make a move, uh, to, to potentially, to potentially get some more play, get some playing time at all this season. But, you know, that it's, it's the first week, so. There's still a ton to develop, but I think the first week just lays a nice groundwork for where those battles are going to head. Yeah, I mean, it 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 felt different to me uh, than last year. I mean, there was just so much going on, new coaching staff and stuff like that. I think that Clay Helton really needed some, he wanted some continuity. He didn't want to have to be, you know, switching gears on the fly like he was last year, doing all that different kind of stuff. And if you just... His opening, I think you were, I think they were there, Lucille. His opening remarks on that first Tuesday, he just, his voice sounded deeper. He just sounded very excited to be out there speaking as the Rose Bowl champion head coach from USC with like more continuity behind them and, um, you know, a, a Heisman Trophy candidate and Sam Darnold. And even though they lost a lot of pieces, he seems just so much more confident. And, uh, I don't know if you got that sense from it, but it just seemed like he came into this spring football with just, a lot more confidence and just more, he's just more assured of himself and what this team can do. Absolutely. I absolutely uh, got that impression on that first day. I was a little bit taken aback at first when he started speaking because, you know, he, he comes in, you know, sort of the same way every time, but there was a, a kind of oomph behind his voice and, and uh, it, it, it kind of reminded me, of the feeling I had when at his introduction, introductory uh, press conference, when he first got hired, that I was a little bit surprised at the, at the delivery of how sort of strong and how confident he was out there delivering it. And for, you know, a first day of practice, I didn't expect to get a, a, as much of a speech as it seemed to be, but he's got his messaging right. I mean, you, Helton has, has always said the right things. Um, and he's, and he generally says them well. And I think it's because you you always feel like he believes what he says and i i did like that he came out straight up and was like you know what no we weren't satisfied i asked the coaches and players were were you satisfied no because the you know there we've got to move forward from here and we've got to do go beyond there and we have we have to you know seek to win championships uh so the the messaging was right and then and then you know just talking to to a couple of the players the messaging was definitely there across the team as well they were all sort of you know, singing from the same hymn book. And maybe that is, I mean, I think that's, that's a sign of, of how together the team is, how the, the how together the coaches are, are making sure that the team is and staying on message and, and the like. But, um, the, the mentality seems to be in the right place. Uh, I mean, at least through, through, through one week of practice. 
but I, I did I did definitely note that 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 opening kind of statement that he made was it, it stood out for sure. Yeah. I don't remember him doing that in a practice setting at all last year. Uh, maybe I'm just forgetting, but it helped that there was, was like eight TV cameras and stuff there. I mean, there was a big audience that first day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hey, Michael, you, you brought up the, the offensive line and it was funny while we were like beginning of taping the show, a buddy of mine who's a former NFL scout texted me and I guess he was looking at, he must have been looking at film for the draft. And, uh, he's like, it's amazing how, uh, much better the, the Utah offensive line is than USC's. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And USC sent three guys into the, the combine. Um, I'm curious to see what this offensive line is going to look like and, you know, are there younger guys that could step up and play even better uh, than what we saw? You know, obviously losing three uh, key contributors like that. Um, will there be a big drop off? Is there not going to be much? I'm, I'm curious to kind of see that, too, and uh, how they move things around. I'm sure it's going to move around a lot, you know, through the rest of spring and, of course, fall camp. Uh, but that's that to me. It's one of those things you got to watch for. And how much did USC actually lose? I think that's the interesting thing too, because you, you look and you say, well, they lost three starters and they lost three guys who had been, uh, you know, a four year starter in, in Chad Wheeler and then Damian Mama and Zach Banner were each three year starters. But do, are they really breaking in three new starters? Not really, because Chuma Doga has been, has started, you know, a few games. He, he, he's gotten, uh, significant reps. He, he's not green. Uh, Nico Fala is someone who has become the starting center. Uh, Toa Lopendon, who's coming back from injury, obviously has been a, a starter at, uh, at a couple of different positions on the offensive line already. And y- you have these, these guys like, uh, like a Chris Brown who has uh, a lot of experience, even though this is going to be what year three or four for him in this, I think year four, for, uh, in the, uh, in the system. And he's someone who, you know, you look at and you, you keep thinking, well, he's going to break out. This is going to be the year that he becomes the starter. He's pushed Damian Mama a lot, but Damian Mama like held him off last year. So yeah, maybe, maybe without those guys, maybe it isn't a drop off because you have guys with starting experience. You have veterans. The, the biggest question mark going into this, uh, into the season, you know, entirely with the offensive line is the other tackle spot outside of, of Chuma Doga. And, that they're, you know, penciling in Roy Hemsley, I like because, like I said earlier, like it gives him time to, to try to figure out what to do, especially when, you know, Nathan Smith is, is out with an ACL injury. And then, uh, presumably you, you want to keep, uh, Nico Fala and, uh, and Toa Lobanon in the, uh, the interior. So it, it it's going to be interesting to see how that all comes together with the experience of those guys. And Alicia, the, uh, Watching practice isn't the best, uh, view. And I don't think they, I think they try to not practice in front of us. They just try to practice off in the corners where you really can't see a whole lot. But I think that first day I, I tweeted something. I didn't tweet a lot like after practice. Sometimes you tweet a bunch of observations and I didn't really do much that first day. But one of them was something like, you know, Sam Darnold's still good at football and you could just watch him. You're like, man, that guy's good. Like you, you remember from the season and you see what he's doing out here with new people in front of him and, you know, maybe hitting receivers that don't catch it or whatever, but he just seems to be, I mean, you know, as good as he was or better than last year. And I think that's probably a reason why there's going to be so much optimism 
is no matter what holes are out there and what you know who who can't be replaced, the fact that Sam Darnold is there seems to make up for a lot. Yeah, he's just he's just unflappable. He's just got that that vibe to him that that it's a weird kind of confidence because he because he doesn't come off like with this like huge personality, but he's just so cool and and you, you see that when he's out there just going about his business. There's no there's no like there's nothing there's no ups or downs to it. He's just always there. And yeah, I mean, he he is a very, very talented quarterback. It's it's obvious when he's out there throwing. Um, I think the more that he gets comfortable, the, uh, there was a huge, a ton and ton of talk on uh, on the Tuesday about his growing leadership role and his confidence in being a leader. And and I think one of the things that he talked about, or I think it was Deontay Burnett talked about how um, it was just sort of the confidence of being able to point out a mistake and and pick his moment when he needs to uh, correct somebody if if something's not right or or if something needs adjusting or whatever and the the, the further along he gets into his career the, the more mature he gets in that sense i think it's just going to going to sort of raise that 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 unflappableness to a whole other level um i think you sort of look at and i don't i don't want to throw out this comparison because it's not you know it's not really what i'm what i mean in a straight comparison but you you sort of see the way that tom brady walks and talks and and just sort of has that aura around him i i get a sort of similar vibe around around darnold where it's just it's that that vibe where he 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 has the it factor he has the the thing that elevates somebody beyond just being able to throw a football uh being able to make the right decisions so yeah it's you there's not a ton you can observe in practice but he he's got that walk and he's he's developing that talk that I think is going to serve him really well. Uh, and, and like you said, it just sort of makes everything feel like it's going to be okay. You know, whatever happens with the receivers, it's going to be okay because Darnold's throwing to them. Uh, whatever happens with the offensive line, you know, that that's a huge luxury that USC has because we're not sure there's a chance this line could be better than last year. There's a chance this line could be worse than last year. It just depends on how the dominoes fall. If it's worse than last year, then, I'm not terribly concerned because Darnold can sort of <laughs> just his 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 ability to scramble and and still make plays evens the playing field regardless of what's going on up front. So there there is a, a huge luxury of having of having him there, but there's also there's also a fear of you know you, you everything can't fall back to well Darnold will make it okay. And and Helton I think made that point too that you know, his his personal accolades and his personal achievements are tied to the team, um, and and vice versa. But there there's got to be there's got to be some sort of balance between well, Darnold's going to fix everything and be and everything's going to be okay, and getting still getting as much you know level of play from everybody else that's on the field. The good thing being that I think that the pieces are definitely there to make sure that you're not unbalanced. The, uh, let me get your thoughts, uh, both of you guys on the defensive side and start with you, Michael, I guess. Um, it's, uh, you know, kind of a feast or famine thing. Sometimes they played really well. And I think, I thought they played more aggressive towards the end of the season. Uh, but they still gave up some, some really big plays. I'm obviously giving up, you know, 49 points or whatever to Penn State and the, the Rose Bowl, not ideal, but they end up getting the win there. Um, I'm curious to see if there is more of a rotation. Clancy Pendergast seems to like to stick with 
his guys and, and the people he trusts and that's it. And if it means one player has got to play the whole game, he's going to play the whole game. Um, what are your thoughts uh, for the, the, the defensive side of the ball, Michael, going into 2017? I, I think we're going into uncharted waters, really, because you, you look at, uh, you know, 2013, how limited that the defense was under Pendergast. You know, the, the, uh, Stanford game, everyone talked about 12 guys, uh, 13 if you count, uh, Torrin Harris for literally one play. One play, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, now we, we see him in year two. We haven't seen him in year two. So maybe in year two, he, there's more players that he trusts because they've just been in his system longer that they're able to, you know, perform at a level that he's comfortable with. So maybe that will just lend itself to more substitution and more rotation on its own. It, it could simply just be, uh, just be trust. He says it's trust. So if it's just trust, maybe in year two, we won't have that, that thing, you know, as a major talking point. Uh, but I do kind of wonder if it's more than just trust. It's, it, it's also how comfortable he is with the, using the same guys, which he's, been really comfortable using the same guys over and over again. So I think we're going to learn a lot about that. And I think that that really is going to be fascinating to see how it comes all together. Um, depth wise, I, I, you know, you, you look at like the freshman on, on, on the defensive line, you know, Marlon Tuipolotu is already in camp. Uh, don't know what, uh, what's going to happen when, when Jay Tufele gets, uh, gets involved as well. But I think it's, it's interesting because there's there's improved depth in certain areas and there's improved uh, maybe inexperience in other areas. Whereas you you look at the safeties and SC could start like six or seven different safeties or, or a whole bunch of different combinations. And you know the defensive backs are, are a position group that Clancy Pendergast loves to to work with. In addition to the linebackers, so I think that. Having to be able to rely on that, I think, is going to help him out, and uh, and maybe buy some time for the for the defensive line, uh, as well as linebacker, because you know, like Alicia mentioned earlier, like uh, John Houston. No, who really expected John Houston to be getting first team reps right now? I think everyone assumed it was going to be Jordan Iasefa. So that is John Houston, uh, or that he's at least getting a share of them. I think makes it really really interesting. Uh, you know along with uh, Taylor Katoa getting some reps there too. And then what's going to happen when, uh, when, you know, Levi Jones comes, comes around and, you know, all the players are, that are able to, to get healthier, like, uh, like Kenny Bigelow on the, on the defensive line. So yeah, I mean, to, to answer the, the question about the substitution, I just, I, I don't know because we, we haven't seen what year two under, under Clancy Pendergast is, is like, maybe we need to go back and look to see, what it was like at Cal. Yeah. <laughs> because maybe that would give us our answer. That could be. Yeah. Let's see what he does there. Um, I, I, I'll have to, I'll ask, uh, I'll ask our buddy Ryan Gorsey, see what he thinks about, uh, year two under Clancy Pendergast on defense. What do you think, uh, Alicia, on the defense? Anything stand out to you? Uh, the, the defense, it's the substitution thing colors everything that I think about with, with the defense because, I don't expect there to be more substituting. Maybe there will be, and it'll be a pleasant surprise, but I don't expect there to be because I think coaches get into their comfort zone and, and they're going to stay at that in that range. Um, but that complicates everything because where you have settled starters 
you sort of you know what you're getting. You're getting Port Augustine. You're getting a Chen and Wusu. You're getting Yvonne Marshall. Um, you're getting Marvel Tell. But uh, you know, and you're getting Rasheem Green. But aside from those guys, it's very very difficult to for me to decide. Well, what is the rest of the defense going to look like? I mean, I I think it's it's fairly certain that Chris Hawkins will be will be one of one of the three that are sort of rotating in at, at safety. But like Michael said, there are so many safeties in there that you can look at and think, well, and I, and I, and I keep saying this, like, when is Ikeeli Ross going to make his move? Like, it just feels like it's time for him to make his move. But, you know, can he make his move if Jamel Cook is in there vying for, 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 for time? What, what is CJ Pollard's status going to be? Can Bubba Bolden and Isaiah Polamau really come in and, and get playing time right away as, as freshmen? I'm inclined to think that USC is going to be in, in this sort of, the USC fan base is going to have to get into this adjustment period where outside of sanctions, the idea of red shirts becomes a little bit more common. Like last season, all of the, the receivers who, who redshirted all those guys uh, who came in and and were able to sit a year, and that's just was kind of abnormal from a USC perspective, and it was just a sign of of greater depth. You know, can you really expect a Levi Jones to come in right away and see playing time? Can you really like? Is USC really going to bank everything on Tupelo two and and Tufele? The the answers there. I mean, I can I can speculate about what what, what a starting lineup will look out look like and how confident I am in that starting lineup, but everything is so fluid and, and still needs to be settled. I tend not to, I, I tend not to, to err on the side of freshmen. Um, but you know, sometimes they come through and surprise you. If, if we sort of take the freshman out of the equation in my mind of what this defense is going to look like, I think that at the very least it, it'll stay at the level that, that they were in 2016. I would hope, but so much of that hinges on the def- on, on figuring out something on the defensive line. And, and right now it's just too early to tell how, like this time last year, USC didn't have an answer on the defensive line. And e- even when Stevie Tukulavatu came in, I don't think that anyone imagined that he was going to be the answer that he became on the defensive line. So, uh, I, yeah, all, all of that is a roundabout way of saying <laughs> like the, <laughs> Who knows? Who knows with these things? I like, I think USC has some really, really nice players that I think could develop into, 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 into a very good unit as a whole. But there are some, that the huge gap on the, on the defensive line always stops me from saying, well, this is going to be a good defense. Well, uh, it'll be a good defense if they can figure out the defensive line. Cause I'm confident in, in, in the, in the spine of the defense between, Cam Smith and 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 the safeties and you've 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 got something good at each position, but you've also got something unsettled at each position, which makes it all uh, weird. Makes it all weird. Okay, um, that's true. Okay, we're talking with the crew from Reign of Troy, Alicia and Michael, and uh, I think we have to give props to Michael. He didn't interrupt Alicia once, and he loves to do that on your show. So I don't know if you guys talked beforehand or if he's just I, on his best behavior. I don't do it. I don't. I don't. I. I don't know where that comes from. I really don't. I don't. Something I, when she talks and you start talking over, that's when I think it comes in. I. I'm just kidding. As I've it. said, I, I. I don't see it, but, but. Uh, 
it, it is funny because we we've gone to recording with video uh, so that specifically so that when one of us wants to talk, we just sort of wave our hand wildly in front of the camera. And uh, we're not doing that today. So I found myself actually waving my hand wildly. I was like, oh, no, we're not. No one can see that, Elisa. Stop being ridiculous. Well, why do you think you get the bad rap, Michael? What's what's the deal? I, I don't know. I, I think uh, one thing, I, I think that uh, it might be editing because I am a perfectionist. So when I edit the podcast, I try to take out every little space as possible. Oh. So maybe... Maybe I just take out space so it sounds like I'm, you know, talking over her. But I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, also, I think that it was uh, before we had video. I think it was just a, a, a Skype thing because uh, we we like to, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like it, our podcast is all about chemistry. So we're and and being conversational. So we're going back and forth. And when you do that, and when you're not looking each other in the face, it's really easy to accidentally stumble over uh stumble over each other plus we're passionate about random things so that always uh inherently brings up some sort of uh arguments which uh which, which we get riled up with and then uh, i have to tell her that uh her take on you know cereal or whatever it is uh isn't good isn't good I find like well, I think it's the predictions that you guys do or something, and then like you you tally them up. At, I forget what it was, but you would tally them up at the end. And Michael's always trying to, well, you got that one right, but it shouldn't have been this way. So I'll get the point for that <laughs> one. You know, like you kind of do stuff like that. Yeah, or, or over or under, over or under. Over, I, okay, I, yeah. I won every every single week. Every <laughs> single week, I was perfect. Because you could fudge the he, numbers afterwards. Yeah, he thinks he wins every <laughs> single week. Uh, and that is probably true like 50% of the time. <laughs> nice. Um, well, this is the part of the show we're going to talk about, uh, Premier League soccer. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. But you guys, um... <laughs> oh yeah. I bet everyone, everyone loves that. We, your, we've, mail, we've... your mailbag, uh, your mailbox, uh, does not want, uh, you to bring that up. Just <laughs> don't bring up the soccer. That, that'll really bring the hate mail in. Did you guys, but like, I'm not, it's funny. I'm not a soccer fan at all. And I've had a, I've a lot, a lot of soccer friends, like fan, friends that were, fans and it's just become a fun game to just tease them about how terrible their sport is just because they get so defensive about it and stuff and it's it's just really funny it's like you can be a catalyst you put a little bit of energy in you get all this energy out and i would tell them all the different ways you could fix soccer you got to get certainly you got to get rid of offsides um <laughs> add a second ball make it more exciting you know all these things and they would just get furious um but how did you guys become like soccer fans because i i just know people that are very passionate about it and if you follow Either of you on Twitter, you can see all the tweets about stuff I have no idea is going on, some Premier League thing in, in London or whatever, but it, uh, you, you guys obviously care about it. Yeah, I, I am uh, Spanish in descent, and so I got into soccer because of, of the World Cup. And my, my dad, uh, you know, grew up on soccer. He, he, he played it, uh, and he, but he didn't really like, he didn't instill the love of it into me or my brothers. We kind of came to it ourselves and it was sort of the family just starting to follow this, the, the World Cup because of Spain. And once I got hooked on World Cup soccer, it was only a little while, uh, before I eventually would sort of decided I wanted to adopt a Premier League team and I uh, fell in love with, with Liverpool and the message, uh, the, the club motto, um, 
being you'll never walk alone and they and they sing it's this uh, it's this uh, old old show tune that they that they sing uh, before every game and uh, just the, the message really spoke to me that they wore red was a major plus that they happened to have uh the one of the best uh, spanish soccer players in the world at the time uh fernando torres and pepe reina the goalkeeper was a plus in their direction but yeah it was just sort of like a, a random falling in with uh, with the sort of cultural World Cup stuff, and then eventually it grew into into the into the professional uh, club scene. But I think that's how Americans have to fall into into soccer. It's got to come from uh, some family, and then and then just some sort of random connection that that you have. And I, I know that Michael is is the same kind of deal where it it started with Germany, didn't it? Well, first of all, uh, my fandom includes. Premier League uh, championships, which I noticed that you ex- excluded there, which uh, as a Chelsea fan, oh, we get to experience those uh, <laughs> just. But uh, no, I my, my same thing. My dad was was into the World Cup and uh, I liked Germany. Uh, so I watched Germany games and uh, I liked uh, Michael Ballack at the time who played for Chelsea, but I couldn't decide on a Premier League team. Uh, so in the 2008 European final, uh, they were at the very end to kick a uh, a penalty kick to win the entire championship, the the Super Bowl of uh, of soccer. And uh, John Terry, the captain, slipped. And uh, oh, no. me being a Cubs fan, it just really felt like a Cubs moment. And uh, and Chelsea lost, so I figured I had to be a Chelsea fan because they were probably the most closest team to to the Cubs that that existed. So there there it is. Nice. Uh, it's funny, I, 2002, I think it was, I flew to, I was going to London and then going to Germany for a wedding. And, uh, when I landed, like the World Cup was starting and England was playing Argentina, which I guess is like a huge rivalry for them. And I think like Beckham scored on a penalty kick or something. And I was in a pub in downtown London somewhere and just, it was like one of the coolest experiences of my life, like how everyone was into it, singing all these songs and, Everyone was just hammered and they end up winning like one to nothing. And, um, it, that was a kind of fun experience. And when my wife and I went to, uh, Spain, I guess two, a year or two ago and we got to go to, uh, in Barcelona, Camp New, I think they call it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And experience awesome. a game there, like 90,000 people. And I would like text my friends who love soccer. I'm like, yeah, I don't really care about your sport, but I'm like at this Mecca place for it and you're not. So haha, you know, so it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of fun, but I've had, to, you know, it, it's cool. I like, I'm not a big like tennis fan, but I'll watch the, uh, you know, the majors and stuff. And I try to watch world cup stuff, but to me, it's like the more, the, the more that's on the line in soccer, the, the lower scoring it gets and the less chances are taken. That's what I kind of bugs me about the sport. Yeah. It gets a little, it does get a little bit cagey. Uh, in in those big moments, um, but I think that's one of the things about about people who who the different you know the people who don't like soccer. Which if you don't like soccer, that's perfectly fine. I I don't like cricket and I don't like baseball and I don't like basketball. Even though you know I can appreciate the sports, they're just not my favorites. Um, but with soccer, I think you sort of have to grow to a place where you appreciate the non-scoring. Um, when when you get to that place, when you when you get to the place where you can where 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 the stuff that isn't scoring a goal excites you, that's where really when the sport has you hooked. And that was what, what it was for me is I always found it boring growing up. Um, and then 
at a, at some point, and, and I'll credit Spain with this just because of the the, the passing fluid uh, game that they play. It just sort of clicked one day for me that that it was like, oh, I don't need a goal to to really enjoy what's going on with the sport. But you know, it's not for it's definitely not for everyone. And and I think that's the the beauty of sports is there is something for everyone. You just sort of have to find what what hits with you and what doesn't. And uh, I I just laugh because I think in in the U.S. Um, there's so much resistance to it that at a certain point it becomes like you said where you like to be just the troll with your friends who like soccer. Like, I feel like that's the American mentality as a whole. It's like, you know, not liking soccer on principle. It sort of becomes a joke, like everyone hating Nickelback. Like, I, I don't I don't know. I don't maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think Nickelback is as bad as people make them out to be. It's just it's it's cool to hate Nickelback yeah. and to think they're awful. So I think it's, it sort of gets into this collective like, yeah, you either you either you, you have to enter a camp. You either like soccer, or you don't like soccer and you like fervently have to believe in, in what it is that you believe on that score, which is fine because then it creates like kind of a fun soccer, anti-soccer, pro-soccer rivalry that that everyone ends up dealing with in the sports world. I think there's a level of defensiveness there, too. Like if you tell like if you're from, you know, the northeast or something, you tell an Alabama football fan, yeah, I don't really like college football. They'll look at you like you're an idiot and just like kind of walk away. But if you tell someone, yeah, I don't like soccer, you don't get it. You don't understand. Like they get very defensive about <laughs> yeah. all these. Re- like, and I'm like, I don't think anyone else does that. They defend their sport like that. Hockey fans, hockey fans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are, are the worst because it's like this inferiority complex with, with basketball all the time. Every time that anything happens in the NBA, you'll see, uh, oh, LeBron, LeBron cramped up. Well, uh, you know, Patrice Bergeron played with a, a, a uh, collapsed lung. He had three broken ribs and a broken wrist all in the same game. Like you'll see that all over the, uh, all over the internet, which is completely just a please like my sport kind of thing. <laughs> well, I'm very curious to see what kind of feedback I get on this episode. Maybe we'll do more stuff like this in the future. Maybe we'll just shut down the whole podcast because everyone hated this so much and I'd never want to hear <laughs> from us again. But, uh, I do. We- <laughs> we we doubled down on everything that my, Michael and I on the on Reign of Troy that Michael and I do that like the just like the random off topics the soccer discussion we got some football in there but we even when I mean we had basketball like the primary talk in the beginning was all basketball so we doubled down on all of the really controversial things that we do on Reign of Troy so yeah the feedback on this will be interesting yeah. you know just it's a fun conversation if nothing else. Try yeah. to make it. Rest in peace to your to your mailbox, but hopefully <laughs> hopefully it goes well. And I, I think I, I speak for both of us by just saying like we're we're, we're super thankful and excited to uh, to be on this because I've been a big fan of uh, the Parastyle podcast and of your site in general. I used to go to your tailgates back in like the early two thousands oh, when you wow, would hand yeah. out the the um the the stickers. Yes. Back. Over at uh, at Tommy Trojan, I remember the 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 most vivid one was the Oregon State game, 2001, where Carson Palmer won with a uh, with a a bootleg scramble. I remember that game because we had gone. It was a it was an afternoon game, and me and my dad had gone to your your tailgate, and you were having like mimosas and stuff. And then after the game, I ran home to the computer because I knew you'd have pictures. <laughs> of Carson running the football and you did. Nice. So 
I'm thankful for that. Hey, that's, that's very cool that you used to, to come to those. Yeah, we used to do big ones on campus, and I would print out stickers. Actually, my work computer at the time when I was an engineer. And then uh, I ended up buying, like, a big printer, and we used to print out a crap load of stickers, and I'd have, like, promotional girls hand them out and stuff. And that was, became a thing for a long time. Like, we did that a lot. And then we ended up getting an RV and doing um, some tailgating with that with lots of TVs, and then it just became so unwieldy. And, uh, and then having to be into the games earlier for work, you know, to work and everything, it just became really hard to do. And you just kind of get, if you just host big tailgate parties, we would get a couple hundred people out of some of these things. After a while, you just get burned out. And all my friends that would help, like we all just kind of got burnt out at the same time and just had to stop them. So maybe we'll bring them back every once in a while. But man, those, those were just, uh, they were fun, but there was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're if you're credentialed. I mean, that's like it's just like you're working two games. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys have a reign of Troy, you know, tailgate sometime, I'll stop by. But you know, I don't. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have to uh, we'll have to like uh, mention that like on our on our <laughs> podcast this season because we sort of have a reign of Troy tailgate that happens if it's like if the you know the the time works out with the game, but it's so incredibly unofficial. No, it's just it's just very low key. It's like, well, okay, let's just go out and let's set up the barbecue and let's oh, nice. eat something and and uh, yeah and yeah, we just sort of we just sort of chill out before the game. But uh, we've had we've had some people come by and say hi and and had some fun conversations with listeners. But uh, yeah, super low key. And that and that's the thing is that super low key sort of tailgate that we do impromptu uh, is is uh, you know a stress and a work on its own. So I can't imagine organizing it, you know, like like you were talking about where it gets so big that that you're managing that many people like, yeah, just managing like three or four people is is stressful and, and uh, it's enough work <laughs> with that, let alone adding a bunch of people in there. Well, we had the RV. So I had a buddy that was like big into tailgating and he's like, I'll I'll go in and split the cost with you. And we had it wrapped with uscfootball.com stuff and like pictures of the song girls and traveler. And like, I think there was like in the back of it, like a big Mike Williams face mask, which he had that like, you know, uh, frosted or whatever the, uh, um, what I'm talking about, like kind of darkened, uh, face mask and stuff, uh, shield on it. And it was really cool. And we had four like crappy TVs mounted on the side of it and people would come out and, uh, and, you know, just hang out and drink beers and eat food. My, my buddy has a company that they would provide all these free hot dogs and he would grill and it just became such a production. We were getting out there at like five in the morning every time. And, um, and it was crazy. And then you got to go, you know, and do the work, the game stuff. So it just became a little too much, but it, it does, it is work. And even if it's just for a small amount of people, it's, it's work to do. And after a while, you're just like, man, it's, uh, I'll go to somebody else's and stop by as opposed to hosting my own. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the smart way to do it. <laughs> but yeah, if we if we have one, and and we're supposed to have one, because uh, we've got we've got a couple listeners who who are keeping on us about that. But you're you're definitely invited, right, All right. Ryan. Well, that'll be good. Well, look, we we got still two hundred something days until football. So yeah. So for all you people out there that did not like this, I'm very sorry. Uh, you can you know tweet that what you should do. Is tweet our guests if you didn't really like it because they're really the reason why <laughs> this podcast sucked. If you think it sucked, no, I'm just kidding. But thank you uh, from Rain of Troy, Alicia Deratola uh, at Penguin of Troy, and Michael Castillo at Michael C A S T F S. Uh, don't call him Mike. What what is the C A S T F S, Mike? 
Michael. Uh, well, it's Michael and then Cast, which is the beginning of my last name, and then FS for uh, for fan sided my job. So. Oh, okay. The, yeah, Michael Castillo was taken up. So there, there's too many of us apparently. There's some. There's someone has Ryan Abraham like in the Philippines, and he hasn't like tweeted since 2009. I tried to get it from Twitter, and I haven't <laughs> been able to get it yet. Um, but now I kind of screwed myself because then. I finally got the like little blue check mark thing. And like, if you change your name, then like, that goes away. I'm like, well, I'm not screwing with that. So, um, it sucks when someone has your name already, Michael, you know, jeez. I know, I know it's the worst. Then you just go with yeah. someone like penguin of Troy. Yeah. And that, that's the funny thing is I don't have this problem. And I'm the one who, <laughs> who went with a, <laughs> with a handle, not, not my name. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Man, we went like an hour and 20 minutes on this thing, but, uh, hopefully. Yeah, that's what we do. People we're, enjoy we're bad it. influence. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just more electrons. It's not like we're taking up tape or anything. Um, but I do appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. Hopefully you had a fun time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thank thanks you. for having us. It was awesome. All right. You guys, everyone check out Rainer Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If not, we'll do some other ones. Don't worry. We'll get back to the regular thing. I uh, hope you guys did. We had, we had a lot of fun with Alicia and uh, Michael. So thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.